Last week we began our Wednesday worship series talking about the new phrases and words that have come a part of our vocabulary over the last six months. Words that maybe we roll our eyes at or don't want to hear anymore. And we're going to use one phrase, the new normal, as a part of our Wednesday worship services as we take a look at the book of Daniel and see how he had a new normal and how he responded to that new normal with his faith in Christ. As we think about that tonight, I, I thought about what it would be like to not have the kind of choices that we have in this world. I'm not talking about choices like what you want to eat or where you want to travel or things like that, but I just thought about even the choice that you made to come to Madison for college. So I wanted to just get a few opinions tonight. You can just raise your hands when I ask these questions. Before you made your decision to come to Madison, I want you to think about how many other places you were considering going to college. I want you to think about how many college visits you made and then how you finally made your decision to come to Madison, okay? Everybody ready? You probably know the answer to that, all right? Some of you had to think back a few years. Somebody, some of you said, what college visits? We didn't get to make any college visits because of COVID. So uh, I realize that we're kind of in a, in a bunch of different places, but l- let's just try it. How, how many of you knew, for instance, that Madison, if you got into Madison, that was the place you were going to school, you didn't even bother applying anywhere else? Okay, we have a few of those, all right, all right. How many of you made between two and four college visits before you decided to go to Madison? Oh, that's most of you. Okay, anybody more than five, five or more college visits? Okay, we still have quite a few of those too. Here's the point. I mean, nobody forced you to decide to come to Madison, at least I don't think so. Maybe on a rare occasion somebody said, this is where you're going to go to school, but most of you got a chance to decide you were coming to Madison, going to school. You got to weigh your options with all kinds of different places, and and maybe that makes it just a little bit hard for us to understand what Daniel was going through. As we look at Daniel chapter 1 today, what we're going to recognize is that Daniel was actually taken from his homeland. He was forced, really conscripted, to become a servant of King Nebuchadnezzar in a land far away from his home. And what I find amazing about Daniel is his attitude toward his situation. And how in the midst of this new normal that Daniel was thrust into the middle of through no choice of his own, he sought to honor God and be true to the faith in the coming Savior that God had given him. As we take a look at Daniel chapter 1 today, we're actually going to read through the majority of the chapter. If you'd like to follow along on a phone, if you want, if you don't, can't see on the board, I have it all on the board too if you want to look up there. Maybe that's the easiest place to go. Because I think walking through this is a great way to just see how Daniel's faith shined through and some applications for us living 2,500 years after Daniel lived. I want to take a look at the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 1 to start. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. All right, just a real, some brief comments about that beginning, those beginning verses. The year that we're talking about is 605 B.C. It actually is a pretty big historical year because it's the year that Egypt and Babylon finally battled to take over control of that part of the world from the Assyrians. There was a huge battle at a place called Carchemish and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon got the upper hand on Egypt. On his way, I suppose, after the battle, the first visit Nebuchadnezzar made to Jerusalem happened in that year, 605 B.C. It wasn't really to go to war against the people of Judah and Jerusalem, but to weaken them, to soften their resolve, to prove to them that they really couldn't stand up against Babylon and maybe they would simply surrender. He had a method to do this. What Nebuchadnezzar did is he took some of the best the young people, the nobles of the nobility, and he took them with him from Jerusalem back to Babylon. Do you understand how that would actually be a double benefit for Nebuchadnezzar? He would weaken Israel by taking those young men away and then strengthen his own kingdom by having them serve in his palace. Well, among those chosen, among those taken, were Daniel and then the three other guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whom I'm guessing that most of us know better by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were given no choice. They simply were carried to Babylon, put into this training program, a three-year training program to enter the king's service. When they went into that training program, it was a pretty big deal. They, first of all, were asked to learn the culture of the Babylonians by learning their literature and language. They were given those new Babylonian names. And then there was one last thing that they were asked to do. They were asked to take part in a Babylonian diet. The food, the royal food that was served to them. And here's where things get a little bit interesting. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Daniel chapter 1 beginning at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, 
he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. I find this section of Daniel all about Daniel's reaction to the new normal and preparing for the new normal. Daniel mentions that he doesn't want to defile himself by eating the royal food of the Babylonians. You might remember that God had given ceremonial laws, dietary restrictions to the people of Israel that kept them clean as far as their approach to God in worship. If you want to read about the kind of foods that God allowed the people of Israel to eat and those that he didn't allow them to eat, you can check it out in Leviticus chapter 11. But what amazes me about Daniel is that he could have been upset. He could have said, you know what, God, you sent me off to this foreign land to live here all by myself. I'm just going to eat the food that the Babylonians put in front of me and not make a big deal about it. But Daniel was unwilling to disobey God in that way. Moreover, I think Daniel's tact in approaching this is truly amazing. He recognized that his unwillingness to disobey God meant that he maybe had to take a little bit of a chance. And God reacted to Daniel's faith too, didn't he? Did you, read, did you hear when I read that phrase that he made the official that was in charge of them favorably disposed, that he was sympathetic toward Daniel and his friends? And so Daniel made a proposal. He simply said this, I'm going to put this in my, the hands of my God and let's try this for 10 days. Give us only water and vegetables to eat and let's just see how things turn out. I probably should just let you know that that word in Hebrew for vegetables is really, it simply means that things sown, so things that came out of the soil. That would also include grains, so they didn't have to just eat vegetables, they could eat bread as well. But basically, bread, vegetables, and water is what they ate for 10 days. And what happened? Well, you could probably have guessed what was going to happen. They looked better. They looked healthier than any of the other young men in the king's service. God made them poised and ready to serve the king of Babylon. As we're going to see in the next chapters of Daniel, what God was doing is positioning Daniel and his three friends to be in positions of influence to be in positions to help the people of Israel and Judah who were in captivity as he put them in charge of many things in Babylon. The new normal for Daniel was something that he and his friends prepared for. Maybe we could think about this for ourselves just a little bit. I, I think we have to just sort of marvel at Daniel's attitude just a little bit, huh? I just try to put myself in Daniel's position and think, wouldn't I have been a little upset? Wouldn't it have been easy to sort of blame God for all the troubles that I had in my life? After all, God could have prevented it. I was living in Jerusalem, Daniel could have said, and, and that's, where, that's where God is supposed to be. That's where he's supposed to dwell. And now here I am, maybe a teenager, taken away from my homeland and far away from home and, and what, I'm supposed to still honor this God? But what Daniel did is he looked he looked for blessings even in the midst of the difficulties that he was suffering. He prepared for his new normal with faith in God and his strength and his promises. I'm almost ashamed to admit this to you because I, I, think, I hope that others deal with the same things that I do. But when things go wrong in my life, it's pretty easy sometimes for me to do a little sulking. To maybe throw myself a little 
pity party, you know, like, oh, why are these bad stuff, why is this stuff happening to me? Why can't my life just go a little bit better? Maybe it's easy for us even to question God just a little bit, wonder if he really knows what he's doing when troubles and trials and difficulties come into our lives. It doesn't matter that we know that that doesn't really change anything. Those complaints arise out of this idea that somehow we might know better or can do better in running our own lives than God. There certainly are times that life is frustrating. Life throws us curveballs and lemons or whatever you want to call them. I was talking to a few students before the service tonight, and I, and I know that most of you, if not all of you, know that an executive in Dane County sent a letter to the university, right, suggesting that they send home all of the dorm students in the next days. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God's plan is. I don't know individually what God's plan is for each of you in your lives, but this I can tell you because God says this in his word. God cares about you. God cares for you in such a way that he was willing to prove it through a Savior's love. A Savior who was willing to take your place, to come into this world and live perfectly for you, to die for your sins, to rise again to guarantee that your life in heaven is secure. That's what flavors our choices. That's what leads us to think, okay, if God loved us so much to do that, if God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, then doesn't it make sense that even in the midst of my troubles, God has blessings in store? That God has ways to make all things turn out for good just as he has promised? That God won't leave me in the midst of my difficulties? What this chapter of Daniel proves is what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount when he said this, Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Daniel knew, and so do we, that when the difficulties of life come, we hold on to the promises of our Heavenly Father, knowing that he's going to take care of us in that way and in everything else that we're facing in this world. A couple of takeaways for you for tonight. Number one, whatever we face in our lives on earth, we know God has not forgotten us. Even in the frustrations, even in the difficulties of life, we can take to heart these words of King David in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Number two, Jesus redeemed us and guarantees we will lack nothing when we put him first. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given you as well. All right, one more question for you tonight. When you think about cravings that you have, you know, when you, you're studying or, or you're, you're, you're just in the midst of just kind of being bored or something, what do you usually want to eat? Are you more of a sweet person or a savory person? All right, well, let's just use the picture on the board. Which looks better to you, the macaroni and cheese or the cheesecake on the right? So how many macaroni and cheese savory people do we have in here? Okay, about, about half, I would say. Cheesecake people? All right, half and half. Let's do this. Let's just change it up a little bit. Let's do Doritos and a Reese's peanut butter cup. Okay, who are my Doritos people? Reach for the Doritos first. Reese's peanut butter cup? You guys are amazing. It's about half and half, about half sweet and half savory. You know what cravings are. You know how that works. 
And here's what it means to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's really like that. It's about cravings. It's about understanding and wanting to hear, to learn, to take to heart God's promises, the love that he's shown you in Jesus, the joy that he brings you through his gospel, the encouragement that he gives you in his word, and the peace that you have every single day in Jesus. That's the best way to prepare for the new normal. The best way to prepare for anything that comes in this life is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and then hold on to Jesus' promise. All these other things will be given to you as well. Everything else will fall into place. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.